We live in a day when many in the church have decided to not talk about or to not discuss uh, the judgment of God against sin or against sinners. We live in a day when many in the church are painting, I believe, or proclaiming what is a lopsided representation of God and his gospel. And today it seems many are not only not talking about God's hatred and judgment of sin, uh, it seems that they have actually taken an opposite course and they have set out to actually make people comfortable in their sin. And I think it's all around us. You look at churches today, instead of preaching on sin and preaching on God's coming judgment of sin, uh, it seems they have taken the role of trying to make people comfortable in their sin. We see it all over the place. Uh, they portray God today as if he is accepting of sin. Uh, they portray God today as if he is, with, is fine with their sin. And that has become the pattern, very sadly, uh, for many churches today. Well, I want to tell you the truth about that this morning. I want you to listen very carefully. Uh, this is a big statement. Some may see it as a hard statement or maybe as a harsh statement, but it is the truth. I want you to hear me. I want you to be very clear in this. Listen very carefully. If the gospel you have heard and the gospel you have responded to does not talk about the truth of sin or does not talk about the penalty for sin or does not talk about God's hatred for and judgment of sin, then friends, I have to be honest with you and tell you, you have not heard the gospel and you're not saved. And I'll just tell you, it's as big as that. It's as plain as that. Be sure today, Jesus is our Savior because he is the remedy for sin. Jesus is our Savior because he paid for sin on the cross of Calvary. And be sure, only in understanding sin and understanding God's judgment of sin can we then gladly embrace Jesus as the hope for sinners. Friends, that is the good news of Jesus Christ. Sin is, sin is going to be punished. Sin is, sin is an affront against God. He abhors it. But we have a Savior, a remedy for sin in the person of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something today. Praise the Lord that God isn't worried about the approval of man. Praise the Lord that God isn't concerned with political correctness. And he's not worried about not offending anybody but he makes it plain in his word. There is a remedy for sin in the person of Jesus. Today we continue our study in the book of Revelation. Today we're again going to look at the subject of God's coming judgment. Today our message is entitled, Justice in Judgment. Justice in Judgment. Today we've moved to Revelation chapter 15. Uh, we're going to look at the entirety of the 15th chapter Revelation chapter 15, today verses 1 through 8. Justice in judgment. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter 15, beginning in the first verse, God's Word says this, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. 
and I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord, the God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. After these things I looked in the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chests with golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. During Father, we come today, we're thankful for the hope that we have in Christ. We're thankful for a risen, resurrected, reigning King, Jesus. Lord, we're thankful that as sinners we have a remedy, we have peace, and we have fellowship with the Holy God because of the finished work of Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful that we can come together today and, and sing your praises and worship you. Lord, I pray as we begin to study your word today, I pray that you would speak. I pray that any hindrance to our hearing would be removed. I pray it would be a supernatural event. I pray, Lord, that we would hear your word from your mouth. And I pray, Lord, that we would, again, be built up as the church, be corrected as the church. I pray for some that will hear this today that do not know you. I pray that in the hearing of the gospel of Jesus, that today they would trust to you and they would turn to you in faith and be saved. Lord, we come, we submit all this to you. We lay it out before you. You are hope. You are answer. We love you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you remember in the 14th chapter, we had a good report. Uh, in, in chapter 14, the victorious lamb, Jesus, stands perched on Mount Zion, uh, standing with him in victory are those 144,000 uh, Jews who stood uh, in testimony to Jesus. They stood faithfully testifying to Jesus, and they have died for their testimony. Uh, in the 14th chapter, it is announced, it is made known that God's justice is coming and that all of the wrongs of evil will be set right. And so in the midst of a bunch of hard news, in the midst of a bunch of harsh news, we have the good news of chapter 14. It truly is a chapter of good news. Well, now this morning we move to uh, the 15th chapter. Now, again, every week I wonder the best way to ease into it. I don't think there's a good way to ease into it. Uh, the best way is just to jump off and to begin. So let's begin today. Uh, chapter 15, we're going to go verse by verse, starting in the first verse. It says this, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, Seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. Now here in the first verse, John says, Then I saw another sign, or another 
vision in heaven. Again, he is on the prison island of Patmos. Uh, this is the vision that he sees. This is the sign that he sees in heaven. Uh, he describes this sign in chapter 15 as great and marvelous. Uh, the Greek word for great is the word mega. It means abundant, massive, or largest of the large. That is this idea. That is this concept. The largest of the large. Great. The Greek word for marvelous, uh, it translates to be wondered at uh, or awe-inspiring. That's the idea when you use this word. Uh, it is not a, a, a very light word. It is rather a deep emotion of awe. Uh, I think sometimes in our day we say this word uh, with too light of an understanding when we use it. Uh, this week on Thursday, I'm probably going to tell somebody that is a marvelous pie. Um, that's probably not a good word for that. Uh, sometimes, remember, the, the comedian used to say, you look marvelous. Uh, we use it like that. Uh, it actually means it causes you to wildly marvel. Uh, it causes you to stop in your tracks and for your jaw to fall open and for you to be consumed in utter awe. That is this word, marvelous. They are absolutely amazed. Well, John sees the scene and he describes the scene as great and marvelous. Then he describes it. He says there are seven angels who have or who possess seven plagues, which are the last is what it says, because in them, in these seven plagues, the wrath of God is Finished. That's what it tells us there in that verse. That's what he reports to us. John says these seven angels, they possess with them the last seven judgments of God. Now, in a second, we're going to see that they are in bowls, but I want you to, for now, see this. So far, in our study of the book of Revelation, uh, the church has been raptured out. That is at the end of the third chapter. Uh, then starts the seven years of tribulation. Uh, it has been described to us. In fact, it is being described to us. Uh, and in God's judgment being described, uh, over the course of our study, we have seen seven seals. Uh, you'll remember that. There are the seven seals. The only one that was worthy to open them was the Lamb, Jesus. He, could only un he was the only one who could unseal them. Well, upon the opening of the seventh seal, we found seven trumpets. And then at the end of the sounding of the seventh trumpet, we find seven bowls. And that is where we are at this morning. Now, this is the second half of the tribulation period, the seven years. This is the end of the tribulation period. Now, I want you to see this this morning. The number seven, it is the number of perfection. Uh, better said, or maybe better understood, the number seven is the number of completion. And so understand today, this represents the complete judgment of God. What we have passed through, what we have studied, what we have heard, is the completion of God's judgment. Now, there are 21 pieces of it. There are three sets of seven. And so this is the completion, the perfection of the judgment of God. Then it says, in their completeness, the wrath of God is 
finished. Now, I want to I talk about that for a second. When this is finished, the wrath of God is finished. Now, I think about that. That is an awesome thought. Uh, I also think about that. That is a terrible thought. I want you to understand this. In these events, in the emptying of these seven bowls, we're going to see the totality of God's anger towards sin is poured out. All of God's wrath, all of his disgust, all of his anger towards sin, all of it is going to be poured out. Can you imagine that? He abhors sin. He hates sin. And in this event, it is all going to be unleashed and poured out. That is a terrible sight, but also think about this. But then when it is finished, it is over. The wrath of God, it says it is finished. Can you imagine that? It'll be peace forevermore. The wrath of God will have been poured out. It would have, would have been settled, and then it'll be peace forevermore. It is finished. What an awesome picture that is. Verse 1 again, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. All right, verse 2. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. Listen to that again. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. Uh, in verse 2, John sees, uh, he has described it to us before, but he sees something like a sea of glass. Now, that's got to be beautiful. It's got to be very still. A sea of glass. Now, this time it is different from the first description he has given us. This time, mixed in the sea of glass, there is fire. Now, understand, fire represents the judgment of God. So I want you to picture that for a second. He sees the seven angels. He sees this scene, and there is this sparkling sea as if glass, and mixed in it, there is fire. He goes on and he says, those 144,000 who stood, those who were faithful in their testimony, they stand not in but on this fiery sea of glass. And so they're not being consumed in it, but rather they are standing on it. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to see this. It says that they had been victorious. These standing on the sea of glass, they were victorious. Now, I want, I want to think about that. When I read that, I think, hold on. These had been greatly persecuted for the cause of Christ. They had also even been killed. These had suffered a great death. And so, they had been martyred. They had been called, killed for the cause of of Jesus Christ. Let me point out something right here. And it's something we need to remember. God's economy is based on the eternal. Let me say that again. Understand this. I'm going to explain it. God's economy is based on the eternal. We need to remember that today. You see, today we get so caught up in the right now. 
And we all we can think about is the right now. We get so consumed with the right now. We get so consumed in the things of the day. And we watch the news and we see what's happening in the world. And it seems like things are bad. And it seems like things are hopeless out there. And so we start to have worry that fills us. And we get up in the morning and we're worried about all the things that we're not going to get done. All the things that might go wrong. And we start to be filled with fear. And what if this were to take place? And what if this thing happens and we're consumed in the right now? Well, listen to this. See this. God's economy is about the eternal. Watch this. These folks had died. And they not only had died, they had died a terrible death. What could be worse than that? What could be worse than that? They not only died, they died a terrible death. And yet here we find them and they are victorious. And so we find these ones who had been persecuted, who had been killed, surely that's a defeat, and now we see in God's economy, they are victorious. Now watch the other side of that, and those who had prevailed over them, those who had rejected God, who had taken the sign of the beast, who had killed these folks, they had prevailed, but now they're about to die. Do you see the flip of that? The ones who had the temporary setback of death now stand in eternal victory. Isn't it an awesome thing when death becomes a temporary setback? Isn't that awesome? We think, man, everything's, everything's hooked to that and everything dies with that. Listen, in the economy of God, it's about the eternal and in the economy of God, death, even death in a great persecution, it is only a temporary setback because victory stands. Victory stands. That's the good news of our Savior, Jesus. For believers, death is a temporary setback at worst. It says here that they're holding harps of God. Evidently, he gave them to them. Verse 3. And they sang the song of Moses the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. They were singing. So here they are on this sea of glass mixed with fire. Here are these 144,000, and it tells us they were singing. Uh, I can't imagine. I, I love a choir. Uh, I can't imagine what a choir of 144,000 must sound like, but here they are, and they are singing. It says they are singing the song of Moses. Now, there are actually two songs of Moses recorded in the Old Testament. It seems from these words that this has parts of both of those. Uh, then it says they were also singing the song of the Lamb. Now, I want you to see this. I believe this is very profound. Here in this verse, we have this tie-in to Moses. In fact, here in this event, we have this tie-in to Moses. Uh, that's going to continue in the 16th chapter. Uh, five of the seven plagues are similar to the plagues of Egypt. Now, there's going to be several similarities that we see in this account and the account of Egypt. But it starts here, and it says that with the, they're singing the song 
of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Now listen very carefully. To me, that makes perfect sense. To me, that is an awesome thing. Because in this event, we have the perfect lacing together of what God has been doing. And it is a retiring of the old thing by the completion of the new thing. And where Moses stood to deliver God's people, it was always pointing to Jesus, the deliverer of God's people. And where Moses stood to lead them out of slavery and bondage, it was always alluding to Jesus who breaks the chains of sin. And where Moses tried to march them to the blessed promised land, it was Jesus who in his blood makes the way for sinners to enter into that blessed promised land. And so, yes, it is fitting that you remember Moses as you see God's fulfillment in the person of Jesus. And how awesome that is. God was faithful. God is faithful. And we have the fulfillment in the person of Jesus. Praise the Lord. All right, let's look at the song. It says, great and marvelous are your works. It's those two words again. Biggest of the big, marvelous Cause your jaw to flap open. It's those two words again. Great and marvelous are your works. Be sure God's work of creation is great and marvelous. Go outside this morning and watch the sun come up. Go outside this morning and see a little bit of, uh, of rain misting down. Go outside and see the cow with its new calf out there in the pasture. God's work of creation, it is great and marvelous. God's work of salvation, oh my, it is, it is marvelous. Uh, the Lamb of God who never sins takes away the sins of the world. He, he dies for our sin. God's work of, of salvation, oh, it's great and marvelous. But in the context here, God's work of judgment is also great and marvelous. It says, righteous and true are your ways. It means... God does everything in perfect wisdom, in perfect justice, and in perfect righteousness. And he's always perfectly true. And so even, this is what it's telling us here, so even in judgment, and in fact, I'll tell you, especially in his judgment, it is done in perfect righteousness. The, 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 the work of God and his judgment, it is done in perfect righteousness. It is done in perfect justice. It is done perfect in truth. It is right in all ways, and it is right in all things. They end that verse by saying, sing out to the king of the nations. All right, verse 4. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? Those are rhetorical questions. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. The Greek word for holy here, uh, understand there's actually a couple of different Greek words uh, for the word, English word holy. Uh, this is not the one that's most commonly used. Uh, the one that's most commonly used, it means separated from or unlike the others. Holy, separated from, not like the others. Well, this Greek word for holy, uh, it adds to that. 
and it is holy, separated, but it is separated in purity. It is separated in truth. And so understand this morning, only God can be this type of holy. He alone is perfect in purity. He alone is perfect in truth. And so, yes, it is set aside. It's not like the others, but only God can be this type of holy. Who will not fear your name, they ask. Who, who will not glorify your name, they ask. The answer is this. All peoples and all nations will glorify the name of Jesus. I'm sorry, but when I hear that, I can't help but think about Philippians chapter 2. And God bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that the, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In this event, there's not going to be any question any longer. Now, I want you to think about that. In this event, it is great and it is marvelous. And after this event, there won't be any question any longer. After the event of creation, people still question. You can go out, and I don't care what mountain you look at. I don't care what, what beautiful river you look at. I don't care. You go look at all the stars in the sky. You go out and you look at creation, people still question. Even after Calvary, you think about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. He lives again. Even after the resurrection of Jesus, people still question. But after this event, listen to me, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and there will be no more questions after this event. Verse 5. After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of, te of testimony in heaven was opened. In verse 5, it reports to us that the heavenly temple is open. But it's not just the temple, but it's actually a specific portion of the temple. It says here, the tabernacle of testimony. Understand, this is the most high place. And so it's not just the temple. The temple is open, but this is the most high place that is open. It's also a name for the holy of holies. And so here's what we see from that. This judgment goes forth from God himself. We need not separate that. We need to be sure that this judgment of God, it's going to roll forward, but it is God himself who sends it. It is God himself who sends it forth. After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. Verse 6. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chests with golden sashes. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chests with golden sashes. The seven angels come forth from God. The Bible tells us they are wearing white linen. The description is clean and bright. Now, that is a symbol of purity. That is a symbol of righteousness. Uh, it says they are also girded with a golden sash. Uh, that's like the one that is described of Jesus that he's wearing in chapter 1. The golden sash uh, symbolizes power and purity. 
Verse 7, then one of the four living creatures gave, creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The angels come out and one of the four living ones who serves in the throne room gives to each of the seven angels a golden bowl. It says full of the wrath of God. Now I want us to see here uh, several things in verse 7. First thing I want us to see in verse 7 is that the bowls are full, that's what the Bible says, of God's wrath. Now understand that. They are filled to the brim. They are full of the wrath of God. There's not room for any more. This is, again, the totality of the wrath of God. This is all of his wrath. The bowls are filled to the brim. Second thing to notice here, at every turn, notice this, there is honor given to God. Uh, there is reverence at every turn attached to God in this scene. It says, God who lives forever and ever. It is the phrase, ages of the ages. Now, we've heard that before. Again, it is telling us that this God who has sent his judgment, this God who is sending his wrath, he is eternal God. Now, that means he doesn't have a start. He's eternal God. He's not going to have an end. He is eternal God. It means that no one or no thing is responsible for his beginning or his creation. Because of that, it means that he is over all things. He is above all things. He has all power over all things. He has all authority. And so again, we see and we marvel at the honor and the glory due God. Third thing that we see here, and notice this. Notice in the seventh verse, notice in the, the entire account, God's judgment and anger are released in order. Notice that. God's judgment, his anger, his wrath towards sin, his judgment, it is released in order. There's no panic here. There's, there's no rush here. Uh, I think about that. We get mad, especially me. We get mad and, and we make crazy decisions. We make rash decisions. We, we become angry and all of a sudden we become very impulsive and we jerk things up and we push things over and we become reckless in our anger. We, be, we become angry and we fly off the handle. I want you to see that's not what happens here. This is God's judgment. And his wrath is real and it's full to the brim. But he does this in order. And his judgment is administered in careful, specific care. All right, verse 8. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. As these final judgments move forward, in all of the anger of God, and all of his hatred for sin, and all of his indignation at the rejection of his grace is made known, his glory 
and his power fill the temple. Smoke fills the temple. It says that nobody can go in, nobody can even approach it until it is over. And now it is ready to begin. The beginning of the end. The end of the beginning. Friends, as we close today, we're going to move to the 16th chapter next time. As we close today, be sure God's judgment is real. Be sure it is sure. And be sure it is promised. As we close up today, I want us to see three things about God's judgment. We ended the same way last week. I think it's a pretty awesome thing. The things we learn of God, the things we see about God, uh, even in his judgment. So today we're going to see three things about God's judgment from our account today. The first thing is this. God's judgment reveals his glory. God's judgment reveals his glory. God's judgment, as it is unleashed, as it is administered, shows his power, shows his might, and shows his position. He judges because he alone is perfect in purity. He judges because he alone is perfect in truth. He judges because he alone is sovereign and rule. And his judgment is carried out, and as it is, his glory is known. He alone is God. He alone is worthy. He alone is able, and all the world will know it as his judgment is carried out. It reveals his glory. Second thing, God's judgment is righteous and just. God's judgment is righteous and just. Understand, it is perfect in administration. It is perfect in application. Why? Because God himself is righteous and just. Understand this, he's not prejudiced. Do you know that? God's not prejudiced. He doesn't have some group over here and some group over there. God is not prejudiced. God has not been swayed by a bribe. He's not been bought off by some good deeds of somebody. He's not swayed by a bribe. He's not acting in political expediency. He's not trying to do something that might exalt himself in a position before men. He's not acting in political expediency. He is righteous and true, our God is, and so his judgment is righteous and just. His judgment's going to be perfect. It's going to be righteous, and it's going to be just. Third thing is this, and I think this again is pretty awesome. God's judgment has been held in grace. God's judgment has been held in grace. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. The last thing is the administration of God's justice. You see that? You know where we're at? We're coming up to the end of the book of Revelation. You see that? The last thing is God's administration of justice. I want you to think about that. We're a long way from in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And this is the last thing because, listen to me, because God truly is patient and long-suffering, because God truly desires that none should perish, but all come to the knowledge of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. This is the last thing because he truly is slow to anger. 
Friends, I want you to be sure it could have been in the garden that God's anger was unleashed. And he could have said, how does this man of dirt, how does he rebel against me? And he could have unleashed his anger there in completion at the garden. Or it could have been there in the wilderness camped along the Jordan River. And God could have unleashed his anger there. What's wrong with this people? All the things I've done for them, all the miracles I've shown to them, and they won't even cross over to the promised land. Oh, what little faith they have. He could have crushed them there in the wilderness. It could have been at Calvary. He could have unleashed his anger on the mankind there at Calvary. How dare they spit upon my only begotten son? How dare they pull the beard out of his face? How dare they whip him across the back? I'll crush him here. I'll end it here. Friends, it could have been on any number of days marked by sin. It could have been on any number of days marked in rebellion. God could have rolled out his justice in, in any day. But it is held for this day. Oh, the grace of God. Oh, the marvel of his grace. Truly great and marvelous it is. Friends, I want to tell you the good news of the gospel is this. Today is one of those days. Do you know that? Today is one of those days. If you'll turn to Christ right now and you'll confess your sins, he'll forgive you. And I don't care how great they are. I don't care what kind of shame they carry with them. I don't care who knows about them, who doesn't know about them. This is one of those days. And if you'll turn to Christ today and say, oh, Lord God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for that sin. He says he'll forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Today's one of those days. If you'll turn to him today, his grace is offered. Oh, what grace. Matchless, marvelous grace. Oh, what grace. He'll save you today. If you'll turn to Jesus, he'll forgive you. He'll save you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, and I'm thankful. Hard passage, hard book. Thankful for your, your spirit that leads us through it. I'm thankful for your truth that grows us and blesses us. Lord, I, I pray that today we've been built up. And I pray that today we understand there's a judgment coming for sin. And I pray if, if we don't know you, we turn to you. And if we do know you, Lord, that we'd be urgent in telling a lost world about a, a risen Savior, hope in Jesus. Lord, help us be urgent in that. Lord, we come and we just tell you we're thankful for your word today. I pray that it bears much fruit on this day. And I, I pray if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, I pray in the hearing of good news, of peace in Jesus, that today they would turn to you and be saved for your glory, for your name's sake. Lord, I look forward to a day that there'll be no more sin and no more stain of sin. Because of that, no more consequence of sin. There'll be no more sickness and there'll be no more death and there'll be no more pain and crying and the former things will be passed away. We will exist in peace, perfect peace in the presence of our Savior, Jesus. But until then, Lord, help us be bold. Until then, Lord, help us stand and help us point to our Savior, Jesus. We ask in this time of invitation that you would move, that you would work, that you would speak, that you'd be known and glorified through it. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I want to tell you, I say it every week, but I want to tell you, I believe it. It's truly the most important time of our entire service. And yes, we preach God's word and we hear God's word, but it calls for a response. And the response is personal. It's you. It's not somebody else, not your spouse, not your parent, not your friend. It's your, it's your response to the gospel. 
Today, if you've never trusted Jesus as the remedy for your sin, his grace is offered to you right now. If you'll trust him, he'll forgive you right now. He'll restore you, renew you. And you'll have a relationship with, with a holy God because of the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus. If you've never done that, you do that today. If you need more information, you come. Let's settle that today. Don't walk out of here carrying the guilt and the shame and the weight of both of those of your sin. Settle that today. Let's, let's, if you need information, you come. Let's take care of that. Maybe you're here and you've trusted Christ, but you never fall in believers' baptism. And maybe you need to come and say, you know what, I need to be baptized to show my heart and my response to Christ. And I want that testimony to stand as these, as these boys did this morning. And so you come at this time as well. We'll set a date, and it'll be a great day of celebration. Maybe you're looking for a church home, and you've prayed about it. You believe God has led you here. You come as well, and together we'll serve him together for his name's sake, for his glory. Maybe you're here today, and you're going through something altogether different. And maybe the weight and the hard things of the day-to-day have, have clouded out the perspective of an eternal economy. Maybe you want to come pray here at an altar today. Maybe you want to come pray with me. And nothing is too big and nothing is too small. God tells us, come to his throne of grace. We're going to stand and sing. If God has spoken to you, you step out and you come on. I'll meet you here. If God has spoken to you, if he's speaking to you, you come on. I'll meet you here. <laughs>